So, Father, we thank you for the fact that uh, you're a holy God and that you're a God that uh, has uh, brought us into existence and uh, you brought this church into existence. Uh, Where we are right now, this building wasn't here five years ago. It was just a cow pasture. And uh, 10 years ago, there was no church. And we look back and we see all that you've done. And uh, a lot of us, a lot of guys here didn't even live in Texas five, 10 years ago. And here we are. We look back and we see your hand of goodness upon our lives, uh, even in seeing Lance here, what you've done for him in recent months and how you've touched him and encouraged him and uh, uh, for his health. We're grateful for that. Uh, and sitting real close to him is Paul, and, and, and uh, we're grateful for Paul. He's here every week, and uh, Paul's dealing with his Lou Gehrig's disease. He's, uh, he's becoming weaker and weaker in his body, but uh, the thing about Paul is his spirit is becoming stronger and stronger. And we pray that you'll give Paul and his family precisely and exactly what they need and that you will uh, be very real to them and very near to them. Lord, we're all dealing with different things in our lives. Nobody here is on a roll. Nobody here has got everything just the way they'd like it to be. And quite frankly, that's by your design. If, if we had uh, perfection, if, if we had all our ducks in a row, we, we couldn't handle it. Uh, that old hymn says, prone to wander, prone to, prone to leave the God we love. And so in your goodness and in your mercy, uh, you have afflicted us in different ways. We've noticed with our children that they cannot handle too much good stuff all at once. If, if, uh, if their character is not mature enough, a good gift is uh, something that will actually bring them down. And after their character has been developed, uh, then they can handle the gift. Now, that's how you are with us. So, Lord, we, we, ask, for, uh, we ask for a perspective as we go through life that comes from your word and comes from the scriptures and keeps us in balance and keeps us in check. We are grateful for the fact that uh, you are a God that's in absolute control uh, of all things. You oversee all events and all circumstances. That gives us great security. That gives us great trust. That gives us great hope. That keeps us from despair. Keeps us from anxiety. It... Uh, it helps us, Lord, to trust even in the midst of delays that are going on longer than we think they should be going on because we know you do all things well. We ask, Lord, that as we open the scriptures that you'll speak to our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that we would not be uh, in here tonight double-minded men, but that uh, we would be hearers and we would be doers of the word. We don't just want it in our heads. We want it to transfer into our hearts and into our behavior and into our attitudes. And we would ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're still on fish tonight. For three weeks now, we've been on fish.
We started with uh, the prophet and the fish, which was Jonah. And last week we looked at the fisherman and fish, that was Peter. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about the, the loaves and the fish. Uh, well-known story. Uh, you, you understand, of course, that we have four Gospels, and not every miracle is recorded in every Gospel. But the feeding of the 5,000 was such a magnificent miracle that the feeding of the 5,000 is in every Gospel. Um, you're familiar with this story. If uh, you grew up in church, you've heard of this miracle of Jesus since you were a little kid in Sunday school. Uh, when you came to the Lord, it didn't take long for you to become familiar with the feeding of the 5,000 because it's such a famous, famous event in the scriptures, a famous miracle that Jesus did. As, as we have been this really semester going over uh, our, our studies in Joseph, and then even now going into this fish study, for lack of a better term, our, our, our unique focus, we've been looking at everything through a particular lens. And the lens that we have been looking at these different events in Joseph's life, in, in the life of Jonah, in the life of Peter, uh, the lens that we have been using to look at these particular stories that we know so well is the lens of providence. Now, if you've been with us, you know that providence is a doctrine that has been put uh, in the back room. Uh, it's been put in the cellar for at least the last hundred years. Uh, that, that is a huge tragedy because the doctrine of providence gives more security and gives more assurance and gives more perspective uh, than perhaps any other doctrine in Scripture. But we have become, in our culture and in the church, we have become so man-centered Instead of God-centered, we have become so focused on us and our choices and our wills, and we make choices and we have wills, that it's as though we have swung way too far to the other side of things, and we forget that God is bigger than we are. Um, when we talk about the providence of God, our definition has been that which God creates, God sustains. That which God creates, God provides for. And the story of our lives from, um, from the time we are conceived until the time we die, Hebrews says it is appointed for a man once to die. So whatever that stretch is that God gives us, our, our very existence hinges and is based upon the providence of God. He created us. He will sustain us. He will give us what we need when we need it. Now, the only way that, that, that God can do that, that he can give us what we need when we need it, is if he is in control of all things. And we've been hammering this home. We've been driving a Mack truck through this, that God is in control of everything. Nothing is out of the scope of his reach. Nothing is, <clears throat> is out of his control. Nothing is out of his power. Nothing ever shocks him. Nothing ever stuns him. Nothing ever surprises him. Um, no, nothing ever uh, shocks him uh, because he's God. He knows all things, plans all things, um, executes all things. He's got a plan for the ages. One day, one day, Jesus is going to return to the earth. 
He's literally going to come down and touch down at the Mount of Olives. And when he does, there's going to be an earthquake, and it's going to split the Mount of Olives in half, which is interesting because there's a Lutheran hospital there right now. They're kind of in the way. Now, I don't know what he's going to do and how that's it, but, but the Scripture tells us that's what's going to happen. And then what he's going to do is he's going to, uh, he's going to go into uh, Jerusalem. And, and if you go to Jerusalem today and you see the old city and you go over to the Mount of Olives, let's say this is the old city of Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives is just, um, it's not that far away. Uh, the Mount of Olives is, here's the old city. The Mount of Olives is right over there. It's not any further than Preston Road. And, but Jerusalem is up. And then you got this valley that goes down. And this is on the uh, east side of Jerusalem. And then it starts coming right up. And you've got the, the Garden of Gethsemane. And then that leads right up to the top of the Mount of Olives, which is where he's going to touch down. And uh, so you can look at the old city from the Mount of Olives. And they got these viewing areas. And then you can actually take this path and walk down the Mount of Olives into the Garden of Gethsemane, and then you cross the road, and you can actually walk up to the old city. There are all these gates around the old city. they got the Water Gate and the Refuse Gate and the Dung Gate and the you know, Joppa Gate and all these gates. When you look at, from the Mount of Olives, you look at the old city, all the gates are open, but they have an eastern gate. What's really interesting about the eastern gate is the eastern gate's the only one that's not open. Because when the Muslims had control of Jerusalem, they were told that the Messiah, when he returned, was going to come through the eastern gate. So what they did was they bricked it up to keep him from coming in. <laughs> and not only that, but then they, uh, they put a cemetery in front of it. Because in Leviticus it says the high priest can't touch a dead body. So they got all these graves there in front of the eastern gate because they know that Jesus wouldn't come through if there were dead bodies. Like, that's a problem for him. <laughs> well, yeah, he'll just resurrect them. That's, that's never been a problem. Death has never been a problem for him. Um, isn't that interesting? Now, this is all going to happen one day. How do we know it's going to happen? Because of the providence of God. Because God is in control of all things. All things. Uh, that's why we pray. You know, some guys say, well, well, if God knows everything that's going to happen, why do we pray? Because Jesus said to pray. That's why you pray. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That's how we pray. He didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray. We pray, and God hears our prayers, and God chooses as he wills to respond to our prayers. But see, all that is based on the providence of God. Providence of God is amazing stuff. I hope you're not getting tired of it. I hope you never get tired of it. Because I'll be honest with you, here's what you do is you live off the providence of God. The providence of God is on every page in the Bible. 
from beginning to end. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to John chapter 6. And we're going to see this uh, miracle that Jesus did from the perspective of John, the loaves and the fish. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of issues with fish in the scriptures. Jonah was a fish. No, he, he was in a fish. He wasn't quite a fish. He was in a fish, which God appointed. God had that GPS going, and that fish was there at the moment he needed to be there. And after three days, that fish developed a very difficult case of acid reflux. And Jonah was uh, vomited up. Uh, last week, we looked at the fact that Peter had been fishing all night with the boys. All night, they were cleaning their nets. They already hit the sack. Jesus came along and uh, went out with them, and he talked for a while. And he said, hey, throw your nets on the other side. And uh, it was all they could do to bring the fish in. Sometimes the difference between success and failure is about four feet. And it all has to do with the providence of God. You can work as hard as you can work. But if God's not in it, you're not going to be successful. Um, Tonight, we look at providence from another angle. John 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. And Tiberias is there today. You can visit Tiberias. You can stay at the Holiday Inn in Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain. There are all these mountains all around the Sea of Galilee. This, is, this would be on the west side, the northwest side, and, and you're not too far away uh, from um, uh, Capernaum where Peter's mother-in-law was and where Peter hung out, and Jesus did a lot of stuff in Capernaum. So these mountains, these great hills, these beautiful mountains come right down to the sea. And somewhere on one of those mountains, that's where Jesus was. Verse 2, a large crowd followed him. 3, he went up to the mountain, there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus... Lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Now catch this. This he was saying to test him. For he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. A denarius was enough, was basically a denarius, one denarius was one day's wages. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Peter's, uh, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. More than that, because there were women and children. Quite a crowd. Jesus then took the loaves. How many loaves? Five. And having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish. How many fish were there? Two. Also of the fish... Um, as much as they wanted. 
When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. The providence of God is all over this story. Three observations about the loaves and the fish. Number one, the providence of God arranged and designed the shortfall. One more time. The providence of God arranged and designed the shortfall. What I mean by that is you got, you got 5,000 guys. You've got wives and kids. You've got quite a crowd going here. And in the providence of God, all these people are with the Lord up on this mountain. Uh, in the providence of God, in the providence of God, he worked things circumstantially in the lives of every one of these people so that none of them had the foresight to bring provisions for their time away from home. Now, that may seem like a little thing. That's not a little thing. Uh, you've got all these people. You've got, um, you've got, you've got crowds. You've got people following the Lord. This happened wherever he was. They were there were crowds everywhere. There were crowds everywhere. And, 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 and see, here, why is it that none of them thought? Nobody brought a thermos. Nobody brought something from the Jerusalem Bread Company. Nobody, you know, nobody had any M&Ms. Nobody had any Triscuits. Nobody, they didn't bring any provisions. Is that not a little odd? I, I mean, really, when you stop and think about it, there's one kid... There's one kid that had any food. That, that's, that's pretty unique, I think. Now, why was that the case? Usually you got 5,000 people. Somebody's got something in the trunk. Somebody's got something in the backpack. Somebody's got a Snickers. Somebody's got something. There's a kid with five loaves and two fish. Why? Because God worked providentially before they ever showed up he worked providentially to cause the shortfall. He worked providentially to create the need. Why? Because he wanted to do something. He wanted to demonstrate something. He wanted to show an aspect of his greatness and his provision and his character. In our lives, we're just going through life. We're just trying to get things done and make it and do what we're supposed to do and be responsible. And, and sometimes stuff happens and there's a shortfall. And we kick ourselves. You know, we come up short or this or we lose this or something happens. And the Dow's back up higher than it's been in six years. Uh, I, I remember... Um, Gosh, how long ago was this? Maybe seven years ago, eight years ago? When that stock market was really rolling, when it was about, well, back where, it, seven years ago, when it, uh, I guess where, where it was now, six years ago, I'm looking at a used truck in Richardson. And I'm driving this, uh, I'm driving this truck with this guy. He lives in just a 
a regular neighborhood, middle-class neighborhood, probably the house is 30 years old, just regular neighborhood. And we're driving around and talking about the truck, and I said, so what do you do? And he goes, well, he told me what he did. He said, but I'm really doing a lot of uh, day trading now. I said, really? He goes, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. And I said, oh. He said, yeah, I made a million dollars yesterday. I said, well, great. Yeah, good. I've often wondered about that guy when, when things, when the Dow dropped. I haven't seen him again. I haven't seen him since. Uh, now he didn't know me from Adam, but he wanted me to know he made a million bucks the day before. You see. Uh, maybe you did well during that time. And then maybe you lost a lot of money. I was talking with a guy this week and um, just, yeah, I'm 70 years old. I mean, I worked hard and put some money away. He said, I, uh, um, this year I lost $600,000. Uh, some of that was because there was a family situation and he had to step in and help. Uh, legal situation and all that. But another, but, a great part of that money was because a guy that's in a Bible study with him in an accountability group, um, he trusted with some money and the guy is gone. And he had been warned by someone else when they found out he was talking with this guy not to do it because this person also been in a Bible study in an accountability group and lost a million. Uh, and he's sort of kicking himself. You ever look where you are and you kind of look back and you kick yourself because you think I should have been smarter and I, you know, I never should have gotten myself in this position? And we make choices, we make decisions, but can I tell you something? If you're in a shortfall, you want to know why you're in a shortfall? Because of the providence of God. God controls all things. We all, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. We look back and, oh, I should have done this. and I should, Sure. But sometimes, well, actually, not sometimes. See, in the providence of God, God's running everything. See, we think... We think it's, we're just always supposed to be flush. It's all supposed to be there. Everything's supposed to be cruising. Everything's good. God caused a shortfall here. Why? Because he wanted to show them something. He wanted to show. You got 5,000 guys plus women and children, and nobody's got any provision. That's the providence of God. These weren't dumb people. These weren't uh, stupid people. But God worked before they ever got there. Circumstance, come on, honey, let's go. He's up there. Let's just go. Jesus is up there. Let's go. Just grab the kids. Let's go. Never thought about anything. That happened 5,000 times over. But there's one kid that shows up. Now, what was his story? Was this kid, I mean, did he always just, was he real careful? And did he always have a first aid kit? And did, I'd like to know, how did he come up with these five loaves? I wonder if his mom didn't send the way out. Here, honey, here, take this lunch. Or grandma. I, I mean, we don't know. But here's this kid. Nobody's got anything. And suddenly you got this kid. He's got five loaves. He's got two fish. The whole group, that's all they've got. It tells us here, it tells us in verse 5, when Jesus was talking to, to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He had a plan. He was working this deal. You in a shortfall situation? God's in control of the shortfall. 
We, we love the great stories when God comes through, don't we? You ever hear a great story from a missionary who comes back in the field of the provision of God and how God came through it? Oh, we just... But before you... Hey, but you know what? Before you get a story like that, you've got to have a shortfall. You've got to be coming up short. You've got to be desperate. You've got to be in trouble. I, I have been this last week... Um, Rereading the story of George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 1800s. He was, um, how many of you guys have heard of George Mueller? Let me see your hand. Quite a few. I went to the Christian bookstore. Now, how many of you have it? Let me see your hands. Put those up. That's fine. Right. I went to the bookstore, uh, I think, Friday. And uh, there were one, two, three, four biographies on George Mueller in stock because the guy has such a remarkable story. This is his autobiography. This is what he wrote. And uh, it's called An Autobiography of George Mueller, and then the subtitle is A Million and a Half in Answers to Prayer. George Mueller was a guy who um, uh, was a pastor, and he started he decided to start an orphanage because there was such a huge need in England. He, he was in Bristol, England. And you had all these orphan kids running around. And these kids were uneducated. They were uncared for. It was, just, it, was just a, it was just a tragedy. That's why you had a lot of orphanages. And, you know, Christians would start these things. Spurgeon had an orphanage in London. Um, but the thing that was so interesting about George Mueller was... Mueller decided that he was going to um, he was going to trust God completely to meet the needs of this orphanage, completely and totally. Uh, this is his autobiography, and in it, uh, he kept a diary and he kept a journal, and he uh, he th- this orphanage ran on prayer, and in his journal, he would take a page. And, on the, and he would put a line down the middle. On the left side, he'd put the request. And then on the right side, he'd fill in when it was answered and how it was answered. It's all in here. Uh, Moody has published a shorter version of that called Answers to Prayer. Um, talk about the providence of God. When you read this guy's story, and he started with like 30 orphans, and then he went to 90 orphans, and then he went to... And before you know it, I mean, this guy had 2,000 orphans, and then he had 10,000 orphans. And, and the thing was, you read the story of Mueller, and it's, it's shortfall, and then it's God's provision. And then it's shortfall, and it's God's provision. And then it's shortfall, and, and you just randomly pick this up, just randomly pick it up, um, oh, gosh. Uh, here's one section. The greater the difficulties, the easier for faith. That's sure how I think. <laughs> Did you catch that? The greater the difficulties, the easier for faith. Um, uh, here's one. I just, right, I just turned this. February 7th, Lord's Day. Yesterday, nothing had come in. And see, the thing was, they ran this thing on faith. It had to come in. You know where Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread? That's how he ran this deal. He, he had, when he, when he started it, he determined that he would never 
tell anybody that he had a financial need, and he would never ask anybody for money. He would only ask God to bring it in. And that's what he did for 60-some years. Um, this chapter is called Beginning and Early Days of the Orphan Work. You say, well, why are you reading this? Because this reminds me so much of the feeding of the 5,000. The providence of God. What's the providence of God? It's the provision of God. Uh, in the feeding of the 5,000, we glory in the feeding of Jesus. Oh, this is great. But before there was a miracle, there had to be a shortfall. You read this guy's book, uh, John Piper uh, it has one line on the cover of the book. It says, a veritable orchard of faith-building fruit. In other words, you read, a, you read this, you read two pages in it, and your faith is built. You know why? You read about a shortfall, and you read about the provision of God. Shortfall, provision of God. Shortfall, provision of God. In the providence of God, God is in control of shortfalls. Why? He wants to show his glory. We don't like that. Every guy in here would like to be financially independent. Every guy in here would like to be financially secure. We just would. Our wives would really like it. <laughs> Some of us are real risk takers. I mean, that's not that big of a deal. Is. But our wives are into big time financial security. I think it's Willard Harley that wrote the book, His Needs, Her Needs, on marriage. And he's got the top five needs of men and the top five needs of women. And I think the top need of men is sexual fulfillment. It's like right up there with breathing. <laughs> and then the top need for a, for a woman is affection. And some of you young guys think sexual fulfillment and affection are the same thing. Uh, they're not. I found that out after 22 years. Uh, but we're guys. You know, we think affection, sexual fulfillment. It's cause and effect. Um, women don't think that way. They think affection. Would you just hold me? Yeah, I'll hold you. Doesn't your wife love to be held? That was one of the adjustments I had. Mary always wanted me to hold her. She said, would you just hold me? Yeah. Yeah, I got a minute. No, I wouldn't say that, but I would think. I never got this thing on holding. What the big deal was, would you just hold me? Because that's not a big need in my life. Is it in your life? I've been having a tough week, and I'm locked up in traffic in July and LBJ. I'm not thinking under stress. I just want to get home so, so Mary can hold me. I don't think like that. You don't either. You know why? Because you're not a woman. But women think like that. We think sexual fulfillment, because we're guys. And he's got a bunch of other, you know, five top needs of men. One of the things that's on the list for women that's not on the list for guys is financial security. A lot of us are risk takers. We'll start a business, eh, you know. Well, it didn't work. Well, we'll start another one. You know, get out there and just work hard and all that. I mean, it's just, you know. Beginning and early days of the orphan work. Sometimes, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. Catch this. Mueller writes, sometimes I found children of God tried in mind by the prospect of old age. 
when they might be unable to work any longer and therefore were harassed by the fear of having to go into the poorhouse. If in such a case I pointed out to them how their Heavenly Father has always helped those who put their trust in Him, they, not, they might not perhaps always say that times have changed, but yet it was evident enough that God was not looked upon by them as the living God. He has living in all caps. In other words, they're worried about not having enough for retirement. Do we get hammered with that every day of our lives or what? You can't even watch a ball game. You try to relax and watch a ball game, you know, just kind of chill out. You're watching a ball game, and then all of a sudden, are you saving enough for retirement? Or you read, you pick up a magazine on the plane, are you saving enough for retirement? And they got a little graph there, and you figure it out, and here's what you need to retire. And you figure out you need to save $38,000 a month. in order to be fine and make it and be secure. Well, that puts a little pressure on guys. Now you can't enjoy the ball game. Now you're thinking about getting a paper route just to kind of, how am I going to make it? And what if this, you know what I'm talking about. You know what he says? He says, we forget that he's the living God. Forget what Solomon is, I read it this week. He will carry us until death. So I remember talking to those guys in Houston who had worked with Enron for all those years and lost every dime. And they were in their 60s, and there's enough time to get that back. Will they make it? Yeah. yeah. How will they make it? By faith. But they'll make it. We, we like $6 million in the bank. And hey, that's great. God gives it to you, but he may not give it to you. So then what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to walk by faith. Well, guess what? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He goes on, he says, another class of persons were brethren in business who suffered in their souls and brought guilt on their consciences by carrying on their business almost in the same way as unconverted persons do. Oh, that's interesting. In other words, a guy who's a Christian that runs his business just like some pagan. The competition in trade, the bad times were given as reasons why if the business were carried on simply according to the word of God, it could not be expected to do well. Such a brother perhaps would express the wish that he might be differently situated, but very rarely did I see that there was a stand made for God that there was the holy determination to trust in the living God and to depend on him in order that a good conscience might be maintained. In other words, you don't cheat and you don't lie. This is God's business. We're going to run it God's way. Uh, we're all going to hit shortfalls. He tells one story in here. I marked it. This, uh, and, and again, this is taken from the big one. Uh, November 21st, 1838. You remember. This, this section is called Waiting for Help. Waiting for Help. It starts off. This is what he wrote in his diary. Never were, never were we so reduced in funds as today. There was not a single half penny in hand between the orphans in the three houses. He's got about uh, 6,000 orphans. 
And he didn't, have, he didn't have a penny, not a penny. Nevertheless, there was a good dinner. And by managing so as to help one another with bread, there was the prospect of getting over this day also. But none of the houses uh, had we the prospect of being able to take in bread. What he meant was to buy more bread. And then he talks about that he, he went into town and he wasn't feeling real great because he's getting older. I'm kind of paraphrasing. And he decided that he needed to take a walk just to get some exercise. Uh, and instead of going the normal way home, he went out of his way to take a longer walk and to get some exercise. He says, about 20 yards from my house, as he went a different way, I met a brother who walked back with me and after a little conversation gave me 10 pounds to be handed over to the brethren, the deacons, towards providing the children with coals, blankets, and warm clothing. Uh, also another five pounds, and then another five pounds for other objects of, of need. Uh, the brother had called twice while I was gone to the orphan houses earlier in the morning. And I had now been, uh, and had I now been one half minute later, I should have missed him. But the Lord knew our need and therefore allowed me to meet him. Why? He's going to take a walk. I'll walk longer than I normally do. That's the providence of God. Their funds have never been so low, and 10 minutes later, he's got how many pounds? 30 pounds? 40 pounds? That, that's, that's, that's this guy's story. That's this guy. Now, you know what? How many of you would like to live like that? Basically, this guy's whole story was shortfall after shortfall. N never saw financial security with this guy. Never had a big account at Merrill Lynch. Now, that's how God called him to live. Why? I'll show you that in a minute. You guys still with me? Question. I'm not sure we take questions here. Okay, let's see. We'll try it. Do you think there, you know, when you talk about the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. something known as the gift of faith, which is a gift that is over and above what a normal, and he had that gift of faith. Yeah, you're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Is there a gift of faith? Sure, it says there's a gift of faith. Yeah, I mean, but that right. would be defined as a gift where Mueller probably had that. Mueller had the gift of faith. God put him, God, his ministry, and we'll see this. I'm going to read something from him, why he started the orphan house. Uh, he, his, and what, what God did was, and, and he understood everyone wasn't going to live like he lived, but God put him in extraordinary circumstances. And all through the book, he talks about, hey, listen, I, I, this is kind of extraordinary what God has put me in. And God has put me in exceptional situations where faith is needed, and God has grown my faith. But don't think this is just for guys like me. This is for everybody. And one of the things that God did in the orphan house is that, and one of the reasons he printed the stories was that he wanted people to know that when you have a shortfall, you can trust in him and he will take care of you. But did this guy have an exceptional, did he have a gift? Absolutely. You bet he had a gift of faith. Sure. People that have certain gifts that we don't have, we can always learn from them. Have you ever been around somebody with a gift of evangelism? I don't have a gift of evangelism. My brother Jeff has a gift of evangelism. My, my brother Jeff has more encounters with unbelievers in a week than I have in, any, in, in, I have in five years. It's just extraordinary. But that, he has a gift for that. In, in fact, years ago at Peninsula Bible Church, they were doing a series on the gifts of the Spirit when it came to the gift of evangelism. And they'd, they'd have a different person with that gift, and they'd have them get up and race Edmund would interview them. They got Jeff up for the gift of evangelism. I told you when Jeff was, 
was president of a Jewish fraternity at UCLA? He was. They invited him in, because that was back when the fraternities weren't doing well. And uh, so he just rented the room. But he had such an ability with people, he was such a people person, they elected him president of fraternity. He wasn't even, he wasn't even a member. And they called him from the main office to congratulate him, and they said, you know, Jeff, we're kind of embarrassed because we don't have a record of your membership. He goes, oh, that's because I'm not a member. <laughs> and he couldn't afford to join, so the guys got to me, and they paid for his deal. And in the years he was at UCLA, he, had half those, he led half those guys to Christ. That's a gift, isn't it? Okay. Let's go to number two. The first one is the providence of God arranged and designed the shortfall. Number two. The providence of God arranged and designed the overwhelming need. What was the overwhelming need here? We got 5,000 guys plus women and children, and we got, we got five wolves of Wonder Bread and two fish. That's the over, this isn't a need. This is an overwhelming need. Overwhelming. How do you handle that? What, I, mean, I mean, how do you take care of that? That's not a need. That is just kind of an overwhelming need. Here's another biography, a short one. I like these short ones. Basil Miller. Here's another quote from Mueller. When he needed another orphan house, he didn't have the money to build. And, and, and in here, you got these pictures of these massive buildings he built and how he got the land and how he, and you got all these pictures of these kids and they're all dressed and they're, uh, you know, these poor, wretched kids. What are these pictures? Somebody turn them out of here? Is Les here tonight? You got all these pictures of these buildings. You got all these kids, and they're in these beautiful buildings. And in, He didn't have a dime for these buildings. He wouldn't build until he had the money. And then he needed the land, and the guy gave him a price for land, and he said it was too much, and Mueller just didn't feel right about it. He went home, and he, kept all, and he prayed for this guy. He prayed for the guy. He just prayed for him. And, the, and you know what? The Spirit of God started working on this guy, and the guy was so convicted, the middle of the night, he dropped his price for Mueller. Wild. He needed another house. He said, uh, when I was asking the petition before the Lord for another orphan house, I was fully aware what I was doing. Specifically, I was asking for something that I had no natural prospect of getting from the people I knew. There's no way. But which was not too much for the Lord to grant. It's the providence of God. So see, sometimes there's a shortfall. You say, well, there's no way I can ever make this up. There's no way. That's right. There's no way you could ever make it up. You're absolutely right. It's a great verse. The Lord spoke to the exiles who had lost everything. They'd lost all their crops. Locusts come in. You know, it's tough stuff being a farmer. Locusts come in, take your crops. Locusts come in next year, take your crops. Locusts come in. You know what the Lord said to him? He says, the years which the locusts have eaten, I will restore. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his commentary on that verse, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, you know what this means? This means the Lord can give you 10 years crop in one year. Some of you guys have seen that in your life. The, 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 you talk about a shortfall. You're going down for the count. And, and, and in fact, the, the, need is, it, the, the need is beyond comprehension. It's an overwhelming need. Well, see, that's what the feeding of the 5,000 was. 
So what did Jesus do? He met the need. Why? Because of the providence of God, because he's all power, because he can do anything he wants to do. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Now, isn't that comforting? Uh, the overwhelming need. Philip says, hey, we, we got to feed these people. We'd have to have enough. We'd have to have 200 days worth of wages to run down to Walmart and get food for these people. Where's the intro? You guys still with me? Mavericks playing tonight? Good. Stars aren't playing, I'll tell you that. All right, this is the autobiography. And the guy who wrote the preface to this is a guy named, what's this guy's name? Uh, what's this guy? Jim uh, Eliff. Here's what he writes. And he's talking about um, the fact that uh, Mueller lived off the name of God, Jehovah Jireh. Those words, meaning the Lord who provides, are the most representative words we could use to explain this man of faith, George Mueller. The Lord provided all that he needed from the start of his work until he died in 1898 without asking anyone for help but God alone. That was 63 years, by the way. He humbly claimed that, by the way, anybody, I'm just wondering, any of you guys in here tonight that are experiencing a shortfall? This is for you. God's got his hand all over that shortfall. And he wants to show you his greatness. And he wants to show you his provision. And he wants to show you his care. Okay? God took care of him for 63 years without asking. He never asked anyone for help but God alone. He humbly claimed that the Lord had answered 50,000 prayer requests. And the reason he knew that was he wrote them all down. 30,000 of those in the same hour or day in which they were asked. I had one of those on Thursday afternoon. I asked the Lord. I, I just did. I said, Lord, I, I would ask if you would be so gracious, if I could see you respond to this in 24 hours, if it would honor your name. I don't know that it would. I'm just simply asking. But if it would, I'd ask that you do it in the next 24 hours. It'd be a great encouragement to me. He answered in 20 minutes. Does that happen to me every day? No. I sure wish it did. But you know what? I'll live off that for about six months. Right? Will that encourage me for a while? You're darn tooting it will. Okay. 30,000 of those in the same hour or day in which they were asked. God would send Mueller in the 63 years over $7.5 million in current equivalency. Didn't take as much money to feed kids back then, you know that. Mueller, on the one hand, was a churchman, a pastor, actually shepherding a church in Bristol of about 1,200 people. For several years, he oversaw two churches with his friend and co-laborer, Henry Craig. Uh, during the early days, he started the Scriptural Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad. It was a mission organization through which he established the schools, mostly on the mainland of Europe. In his lifetime, he schooled and provided for over 123,000 students. He distributed free or moderately priced publications by the millions and supported numerous missionaries 
as well, among whom were Hudson Taylor and the first missionaries of the China Inland Mission. If you know anything about the China Inland Mission and Hudson Taylor, all the missionaries in China were on the coast because it was easy to be on the coast. Hudson Taylor was the first guy to go inland where everybody was. And, and he, uh, he dressed like the Chinese people. He didn't look like an English you know, guy out for a ride fox hunting you know, in Shanghai. He grew a ponytail. He wore their clothes. He learned the language, and he went inside. And Hudson Taylor never asked anybody for a dime of support. He didn't send out emails. He didn't send out faxes. And you know what Hudson Taylor's motto was? The Lord's work done in the Lord's way has the Lord's provision. And one of the guys that supported, one of the guys that supported him was Mueller. They operated on the same principle. Um, in his lifetime, he built five capacious buildings to house um, the orphans, before he died, um, and, and this guy, this is a little off. 10,000 orphans had been cared for. Actually, in the whole situation, there were 120,000. Uh, then from the age of uh, 70 to 87, he traveled the world as a missionary. Most of these trips were a year in duration. One was two years. He went to 42 countries and traveled the equivalent in mileage to eight times around the globe as an elderly man, speaking five to 6,000 times outside of Britain, between the ages of 70 and 87. He hadn't saved anything for retirement, so he just went. Surely a man doing all that must have had wealthy supporters in place committed to supplying the money necessary for the enterprises he envisioned. Surely the organizational mechanism for collecting the millions needed for such activities must have been well-staffed and trained in the art of raising funds. Not at all. Everything was accomplished by asking God alone. Mueller's view of faith was simple, almost childlike. He believed that everything he did was to be guided by Scripture. He was no mystic, refusing to be led by impressions or even to take scripture out of context. Mueller read the Bible over two, he read it through over 200 times. A hundred times, he read it on his knees in prayer. Now, let me say this. When I read that, it makes me feel guilty. Did this guy have a gift of faith? Yeah. That's, that's what I was getting at. God called him to operate. God called him to operate like that. I mean, he called his church to operate that way. I mean, he called us to And we're not saying that. At the same time, D.L. Moody, if D.L. Moody... He had a $25,000 shortfall. He'd go down and ask Cyrus McCormick, who invented the Reaper. He said, Cyrus, I need $25,000 for a mission project. He'd just go ask him. So different guys operate in different ways. The reason I'm pointing out Mueller to you is the providence of God. It's just the providence of God. That's why. As the Lord multiplied, and I'm going to get into my third point here in a minute. Let me go down to why he started the orphanage. This is really interesting. He tells about why he started the orphanage. Uh, never once did he write a letter to ask people to give, or did he ever ask for funds? You already know that. He says, "My pro- uh, let me back up. To, uh, he stated, to awaken in my heart the desire of setting before the church at large and before the world, now here's why he started it, a proof that God has not in the least changed. And this seemed to me best done by the establishing of an orphan house. It needed to be something which could be seen even by the natural eye. Now, if I, a poor man, simply by prayer and faith, obtained without asking any individual the means for establishing and carrying on an orphan house, there would be something which, the Lord's, with the Lord's blessing, might be instrumental in strengthening the faith of the children of God, besides being a testimony to the consciences of the unconverted of the reality of the things of God. This, then, was the primary reason for establishing the orphan house. He goes on and said, I wanted to help the kids and all that, 
But my real reason was to show people that God is still living and alive and active, and he still answers prayer. And he did for 63 years. Let's go to number three. Lou, have you ever shown me a 15-minute sign? You don't have one tonight. Have I hit 15 minutes yet? Okay, why do I feel like I have? Maybe I'm bored. (coughs) All right, we need to get a new speaker. Can you guys go about eight more minutes? Okay. Number three. The providence of God arranged, we're talking about defeating the 5,000 here. All right, we're looking at it through the providence of God. The providence of God arranged and designed the astonishing provision. All right, let's hit one and two again, then we'll come to three. The providence of God arranged and designed the shortfall. Jesus knew what he was doing. He worked it so that there'd be no provisions. Number two, the providence of God arranged and designed an overwhelming need. This is a need that is huge. How will this ever be met? This, this, what does Ephesians say? Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything you could ever ask or think. God loves to do that. But you've got to be in a hole. You've got to have a shortfall. You've got to have a need before you see his greatness. This is why it's... I'll never forget that guy in Sacramento. As long as I live... That guy, I, I was at a conference, it was a Saturday. He said, Steve, I go to work on Monday for the first time in 22 months. I was laid off 22 months ago. He's been in the greatest 22 months of my life for my family. He said, when I got laid off, I was scared to death. And my wife and I sit down and we looked at our finances and we figured out we had enough to make it for 90 days. And I'm sending out resumes and doing all this and We got to the end of 90 days, nothing had happened, no income. We sit down at the end of the 90 days, and we looked at our finances, and we had enough to make it another 90 days. Well, how did that happen? The provision of God. He said, so we made it through another three months, no income. We sit down, and we figured out, all right, where are we now? How, How long can we make it? We figured out we have enough to make it for another 90 days. He said, I've got to tell you, it's been the greatest 22 months of my life for my kids, for my... Quite frankly, we never had a financial need. He said, we've seen the favor of God and the goodness of God, and we've seen the providence of God in our lives over the last 22 months like I've never seen before. It's because I never had a need. There's an old song that says, if I never had a problem, I'd never know God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in his word could do. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. I forget the next line. Sometimes I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong great song the providence of god arranged and designed the astonishing provision uh flip over to the account in mark in mark 6 same same miracle mark 6 41 
You pick it up in 39. He commanded them all to sit down by groups in the green brass. They sat on groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves. This is great. <laughs> this is great. He broke the loaves and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. Can you not see this? He just kept giving them. He broke the loaves and he kept... Here. Here you go, Peter. Here. I'm sure Peter's looking at that and he goes, okay, and he... John, come here. Matthew. He just kept getting... They got five loaves. He keeps, he keeps chugging it out and nothing's going away. You know what this reminds me of? Flip over to 1 Kings 18. Reminds me of Elijah. Actually, it's 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17, uh, you know, Elijah shows up and there's this godless, wicked king and his wife. And uh, they think they're in charge and they think they're running everything and they're bringing down the nation. They're just reprobates. And, um, so what happens is, is that Elijah shows up and... Uh, he confronts uh, Bill and, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Ahab and um, uh, Jezebel. And he basically says, it's not going to rain until God says it's going to rain. Because see, they were Baal worshipers, and they thought Baal controlled the rain and the weather. But Baal doesn't control the rain and the weather. Yahweh does. And they were about to get a lesson. And you read James 5 and you find out it wasn't going to rain for three and a half years. There was drought. How could there be a drought? Because God controls all things. Weather, famine, drought, hurricanes, earthquake. He controls all things. It won't rain for three and a half years. And it didn't. They didn't like what he had to say, so he goes on the run. He's got no provision. So what happens to him um, is that he heads to this brook called Cherith, and what happens is he's got no provision. He's got no retirement fund. He's got no line of credit. He's got nothing. So you know what the Lord does for Elijah after he's spoken the word of God? Now he's on the run for three and a half years. You know what God does? God commands the ravens to provide for Elijah. The irony in that is that ravens are known as birds that often don't even provide for their own babies. He commanded the ravens to provide so for a season, the ravens provide for him, bring food to him, and then he drinks from the brook. Look at verse 6. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. Verse 7. It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So now what's he going to do? The brook dries up. You ever had a shortfall and then there's a provision and then it dries up? Happened to Mueller every day of his life. So now what's going to happen? Well, God's going to bring another provision. See, now he's got to, see, he, was, he was humming. He had the birds coming in. He had, it was just like clockwork, just like manna with the children of Israel. But now the brook's dried up. Now what's going to happen? Now God's going to command a widow who doesn't have anything to provide for him. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Now this is really interesting. Because Zarephath and Sidon were in the area this was the home area of Jezebel. He was going into Baal territory here. He was go God says, go to enemy territory. 
You don't go to enemy territory. Sometimes the answer God gives doesn't make any sense to us. Go up, go up there to Sidon, to Zarephath. Behold, I, catch this. I have commanded a widow to provide for you. Not a guy that has a foundation. Not a guy that has a software company. I've, I have commanded a widow. Does that make any sense to you? Of course not. This is how God operates. My ways are not your ways. I mean, if you're, I mean, put yourself in Elijah's view. What do you mean? He's going up there all the way. I'm thinking, he goes, Did he say a widow? Well, well, she must be really wealthy. So he gets up there. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. I have no foundation. I have no 401k. I have no line of credit. Oh, this is great news. I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. Behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my sons so that we may eat it and die. Nothing like prosperity theology, huh? Hey, man, expect a miracle. This is your day. This is unbelievable. So I've come all the way up here, and this is the, this is the I'm sure he's saying, there's got to be another widow in this town. <laughs> hey, I don't have any. I'm going to a little flour, a little water. We're going well, to eat. We're going to die. Now catch this. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she went, and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. So did somebody pull up a truck from Sam's Club and say, where do I put these 5,000 gallons of oil? No. No. It's the same bowl of flour, and it's the same jar of oil. You got a little bowl, you got a little jar. Pours out a little oil, she sets it down, she looks in, and it hasn't changed. The flour. The little flour, she takes it out, it's exactly the same. It's, what did Jesus do? He kept, he kept giving it to them. You look, how many loaves? Five. Okay, there's five loaves. There's, and they had enough left over for 12 baskets. Two fish, two fish. Two fish don't go far. These weren't albacore tuna. These are these little suckers about this size that come out of the Sea of Galilee. How do you do that? How, how, how is it that the providence of God arranged and designed an astonishing provision. And why, why are people still reading about George Mueller today? And why does it build their faith? Even though you're not called to be a missionary, why does it build your faith? Because of God's astonishing provision. My son Josh is doing a paper on Jonathan Edwards. And he knows I like Jonathan Edwards, and he sent me this email. He's reading this paper from this uh, journal of religious history written by a Vaihu Zekai, senior lecturer 
at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem on Jonathan Edwards. Because Edwards was not just a great preacher and a great theologian. And you know, the World Book Encyclopedia used to say Jonathan Edwards was the greatest mind that America ever produced. He was a pastor in the 1700s. It was first president, uh, became president of Princeton University and died a few weeks after from a smallpox inoculation. But he was a brilliant thinker, and he would interact with all these philosophers in Europe. Catch this. This guy says, the first couple sentences are a little tough, but then stay with me. Because this all relates to the feeding of the 5,000 and what happened with the widow of Zarephath and the flower of the oil. Edwards launched his critique of the mechanical philosophy of nature with a discussion of atoms. See, these guys are saying, these philosophers are saying, oh, no, the, the world just runs like a, like a machine. There's no God. There's no providence. There's no. So he's critiquing these guys. And he began his critique of the mechanical philosophy of nature with a discussion of atoms. This is in the 1700s. Because by the end of the 17th century, atomism as a mechanical philosophy was in England the conservative view. Indeed, in his determination to establish God's sovereignty and activity in the world, Edwards appropriated the prevailing atomic doctrine, but he radically Christianized it in his desire to show how closely and intimately God's divine activity controls and directs even the smallest particles of atoms. Now stay with me. All bodies whatsoever, he wrote, in accordance with contemporary atomic doctrine, must be of absolute necessity composed of atoms. He claimed that every atom in the universe is managed by Christ. Given that the being and existence of everything in creation stands under the constant and immediate absolute power and will of God, what does Hebrews 1 say? He upholds all things by the word of his power. Given that the being and existence of everything in creation stands under the constant and immediate absolute power and will of God, the whole world of nature is imbued with God's redemptive activity. Adams argued that because atoms are totally and absolutely dependent on God's infinite power, the very framework of the material is evidence of God's omnipresence, omnipotence, and omniactivity. The very being and the manner of being and the whole of bodies depends immediately on the divine power of God. Catch this. Edwards also made the statement that every atom in the universe is managed by Christ so as to be most to the advantage of the Christian. That's how he kept giving it to him. He owns atoms. He runs atoms. She'd take the flower out. Flower doesn't change. She takes the oil. Oil doesn't change. This guy's got 100,000 orphans. Shortfall. Great need. Great provision. Why? Great God. Great God who's living and active. <clears throat> you got a need? What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Your Father knows that you need all these things. So seek ye third, the kingdom of God. Let's bring it home, guys. Seek ye what? First. Seek ye first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, you know what that says to me? I can't lead a double life. And you can't either. We 
we can't mess around with sin. We can't act one way here and another way somewhere else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. So what do you need? You know why you have a need? He's created the need. They can show you his greatness. You know something, I'll close with this, that really was remarkable, is this orphanage keeps growing and growing. You know what he needs? He needs people. He needs staff who love children and are called to work with children. But you know what he needed before he needed staff? He needed orphans. He got the first thing going, got the staff, got it, and you know what? They opened up on the first day, and guess what? They had no orphans. And he says in here, I realized I forgot to pray for the most basic thing. I needed God to send us orphans. The next day, the orphans showed up. But then he would have to ask God to bring the right people. just not financial provision. It's provision of the right people at the right time when there's a great need. And he did that for 63 years. That's the God we serve. I can sleep tonight. Can't you? Question? Number three was number three was the providence of God arranged and designed the astonishing provision. Okay? Let's pray, guys. Sorry, you had a question. I'll catch you afterwards, okay? Lord, we thank you that you're the same God. You provide. You make a way. We have so much in this country. We have so much. And uh, we have so many idols And we're given so much wrong information. And uh, when we uh, sometimes fall short, we, we really wonder what's going on. But Lord, as we've seen tonight, if, uh, if there's never a shortfall, there is never a need, and there's never an opportunity to see your greatness at work. For the guys in here that are in need, I pray that you'll show them your goodness and your kindness and your greatness. If for some reason that needs to be delayed, we pray that their trust will grow and their faith will grow as they wait upon you for your perfect timing. But Lord, when it has to be there, it'll be there. That's what you do. That's the kind of God you are. So we thank you. Help us not to worry tonight. Help us to be content, as Thomas Watson said, to let you control the world. You give to your beloved even in their sleep. So give to us tonight as we sleep, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.